Hello, you're very welcome to the Women's Rugby Pod. I'm Johnny Hammond, and alongside, as ever, is Rachel Burford. How are you? Uh, how are you holding up, Burf? Yeah, not too bad, thank you, Johnny. Um, just trying to keep busy. How are your plants? Well, they're they're sowed. <laughs> Don't really know what I'm doing to be honest, but um, they're in pots and they're being watered, and we shall see. What 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 have you planted? Um, carrots, strawberries, lettuce. Radishes, um, oh, what else? Parsley, uh, what else? Oh, spring onions. <laughs> nice. The whole shebang, yeah. Wow, so yeah, you covered, covered all bases there. Um, so you're turning into sort of the good life, are you? Are you, are you, are you, are you too young to remember the good life television programme? I have no idea what you're talking about. Understood. <laughs> For those of you out there, birth is Barbara. Um, I'll have to look it up. Yeah, obviously, uh, in between, since we we last we last spoke, uh, Olympics has gone. Uh, or yeah. certainly uh, pushed back pushed back a year. The new new dates are out, aren't they? Uh, what is it, twenty fifth of July to eighth of August? Um, off the top of my head, some uh, some big decisions in there for for a few of the players. I would have thought then, and obviously. Has a knock-on effect, I would have thought, with the with the fixed 15s program and the and, and the World Cup. Yeah, I think it was the right decision. I think a lot of players um, were kind of in a position where they wanted a decision to be made. So then they, you know, and coaches as well, so they could then plan what this sort of time is going to look like. Because I don't think anybody really wanted to go into the Olympics in July, having not really had the best preparation to do. You know, what is the pinnacle? of the game seven. So, um, right decision. I think you'll have a lot of players kind of just happy that a decision has been made and it's been postponed and now they can actually refocus, replan and get back to work with it. Um, but there will be um, a group of players that this was going to be their last, last, you know, hoorah, if you want to call it that. But this would have been the, the last thing that they did before they went on to retire. So they've got some decisions to make. They've got some discussions to have with um, coaches and, and their teammates to see if they want to still you know push on another year which I'm sure anybody would uh, be desperate to get to that Olympics next year but yeah and you, you mentioned it there Johnny about you know 2021 is is the women's 15s world cup so you know would we have seen a lot of crossover we probably would have uh, we probably would have seen a lot of players coming from the seven aside game and come trying to cross over back to the 15 aside game uh, for the World Cup into this into that year, um, so that again is going to leave players with decisions on their hands about you know are they going to stick at sevens and and you never you never know. So a lot of players you know the Olympics is is a dream, isn't it? It's a it's a big opportunity for players to be involved in and and the thing with if I'm thinking about England side, it's a very young team, so a lot of them I believe will, will stay focused and stay with the sevens. Um, and not look beyond that, really. So, what what particular players do you think would have would have potentially crossed crossed back over? Um, if we're looking just at the red, the red roses, in the red roses, uh, well, I think you've got the likes of Ellie Kildun, who you know started her England career in the 15 shirt and then crossed over to two sevens. Um, so, I think she may have been somebody that was very interested in doing so. Holly J. Aitchison as well started as um, 15s at, at Richmond, very promising um, centre, which England don't have 
you know, an abundance of in that 13 position. Somebody also like Amy Wilson-Hardy, who has been heavily involved in sevens, but also went to the 2017 Rugby World Cup. You know, she she had a taste of it then and might also want to come back and be involved. So there'll be a few players that would be would have been thinking about it, sure. And Alex Matthews, another player, um, outstanding 15s player um, and would, you know, I think that in the 15-a-side teams, Richmond certainly, and, and I wouldn't be um, surprised if the England team wouldn't also open the door for her to come back in and be involved. Yep. But now those those things are probably not an option. Uh, Meg Jones had an outstanding World Cup last time out. Of course, yeah. Yeah, so the list goes on, you know. That was her first World Cup, but her first real kind of big stint in the 15-a-side game at, at the elite level. She had a terrible run of injuries. Um, but again, somebody who would, you know, if the Simmons wasn't going on, would be very much involved in the, the 15-a-side game um, for England. So, yeah, it's it's... It's a shame that we won't get to see potentially those stars and those players on both formats of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we're going to speak to uh, one of the Sevens squad members, aren't we? Heather Fisher, in a couple of weeks' time, we've got, uh, we've got Fish booked in. Uh, so it'll be interesting to, to see what uh, she has to say. But uh, we are treated today, uh, very, very special guest, a friend of the pod. Sarah Hunter, England captain, is joining us. Let's, uh, let's get Sunter on the line. Martin and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. Absolutely delighted to to say that uh, Sarah Hunter, England captain. Oh, well, look, the podcast is only about an hour long, so we can't go through all your achievements. Um, but we'll suffice to say, uh, Centurion, uh, the glue that holds the Red Roses together and has done for many a year now, uh, World Cup winner, Grand Slam winner, etc., etc., etc. Sarah Sunder Hunter is on the pod. Hello, how are you? Hi, thanks for having me on. It's um, bright in my week up, giving me something to to put in the, my diary. Um, no, <laughs> Did you seriously put it in I'm, your diary? I'm good, thank you. Pardon? Did you seriously put it in your diary? Yeah, I put um, and I put my friend's house party gathering on Sunday in it as well, just to fill it up. And like it comes up with an alert, so you feel like you've got something to do, don't you? So how uh, uh, how how are you having a party on Sunday then? By uh, the house party app. Yeah. Look at uh, you. Do you know where that is, Johnny? Look at you and your social media skills. <laughs> no, Johnny, you don't know. Uh, just to, just to tell the listeners, we're on Zoom, so there's all sorts of hand actions going on and what have you. Um, but yeah, no, we're we're on Zoom. It, it it is a little bit more exciting than uh, than just giving a call on the phone. But uh, if we just just speak, just starting more sort of seriously. How are you? How's how's all the family? Uh, how, how are you getting on with uh, what is an unprecedented time? Yeah, no, I'm um, I'm really fortunate. I'm all well um, and just managing myself in in these times and what we're probably learning on a daily basis of how to adapt and. Um, how to get get through the day? We're fortunate that we've still got a bit of a training schedule to to complete, so that actually gives you a a bit of structure to to your day. Um, obviously, having bits of training to to do. Um, getting out of the house is a is a sort of a highlight of the day to to go out and get some fresh air. 
um yeah just just trying to keep busy you've got bits of work to do for for Loughborough Lightning as well so you know just not trying to to get bored and trying to get out of the pajamas so you don't spend the whole day in them sitting watching tv and um, but the family are really well as well you know my um I get um daily videos from my brother and his partner doing um homeschooling and what they're up to so that's quite quite good um got my mum and dad on the house party app so my mum <laughs> used to call me several times a day with it now just randomly throughout the day um so yeah just trying to stay connected to, to people and just you know trying to make the best of a, a bad situation really what part of your parents uh, and anatomy do you get because I, I tend to just get my mum's chin yeah, the forehead. The forehead. Like the forehead. Usually, yeah. Right, okay, yeah. I get my mum's ear. She still doesn't get it. She's like holding it normally like a phone. I'm like, I'm look at your ear. <laughs> what sort of uh, training have you been, been able to, to do so far? Yeah, so um, pretty pretty sort of limited with sort of the equipment that I've got in. I obviously live in a flat as well, so not the, not the most um, ideal situation for for getting um what you can in um and I'm on, also on a bit of a, a a modified period I had a bit of a, a neck issue um throughout the the Six Nations so I'm on a bit of a, a modified program at the minute but I've got a lot of um banded work to do um with sort of exercise bands I've got one right here just uh, um and all sorts of different um but I didn't know um there were so many exercises you could do with them um and actually how you could get uh, a sweat on and get doms for days with them so so you know um my snc and physios are, are sort of keeping me busy with with that as well and, and obviously um you play a coach at Loughborough so presumably the, the, there's uh, quite a lot going on in the in the background. Not that we know what's going to go on, but are you sort of preparing for for every eventuality as and when things do begin to to kick off again? Yeah, no, I think obviously this season's done. So um, what we're trying to do with the players is keep them on a bit of a program um, as best they can. Really, again, our our SNC is coming up with wonderful ways of what people may have at home or can access um, to, to keep themselves um, taken over. And then we'll go until probably the um, start, of, start of May and then they'll have their, their rest time um, that they would normally do in an off-season. And obviously in the background, we're starting to, to think about more so um, reviewing the past year before we start to look ahead to um, the following year. Um, to try and reflect on like learnings and understandings of what went well and what we need to work on for for next year, and then we'll start about how we plan that um, as a wider piece if and when um, we know when the season's going to start again. So, in terms of, I, mean, I, I guess you've got to be pretty disappointed, haven't you? Um, obviously, we all understand this is not something we. We can do anything about, and it is horrific for the for the for the global community, let alone the the one in the UK. So we all understand, but there must have been a little bit of frustration because Loughborough Lightning were hot hot on the heels of the top two. Certainly gave Saris a a decent run for the money, and for the majority of 
of, of the game. I remember up at Loughborough, you, you gave Quinns a, a really good run for their money. Uh, how frustrating uh, and how much did you think that possibly this this might, might be your year to get to to at least a final? Yeah, you, you know, I think um, especially after the Six Nations, I think we, we started to get um, consistency with our squad. We had people coming back from injury. There was no more interruption with international breaks or fixtures. Um and, and like you say, we, we were probably inconsistent um, at the beginning of the season and in-game. So like you say, we we pushed Saris close twice, we pushed Quinn close. And I think we were starting to take those learnings, understanding that I think we would have hoped that as we built towards the semi-finals that we'd be in a lot better position than we, we were last year. I know our team was certainly certainly stronger this year than it was last season when we lost to, to Quinn's in, in the semi-final Um that for a lot of the girls was their first um, real big game as such. We've got quite a young squad and obviously that experience probably would have helped them. Um, and it's all hypothetical, but I think we certainly would have been more competitive in a semi-final this year than we were last year when we were comprehensively, be, comprehensively beaten by a much better Quinn side. Berth, same, same to you really. This this was uh, <laughs> this was Quinn's year, wasn't it? You were going to you were going to rock to the title, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> that was the plan, Johnny. Um, yeah, I think everybody's obviously disappointed um, with the fact that there's like zero opportunity to play. Like, there's not a chance even to have a semi-final and a and a final. Um, and because I have to think about it from uh, the other side of it is that how much more clubs have invested into this year. It's a huge year for for everybody involved, and and that's just a real shame that. A lot of investments gone in, and, and like I use the example of the game changer at Harlequins, they put so much effort and force and finance and backing behind it, and then for that type of thing to also get taken away. So there's also there's the playing side of it. Yeah, we all want to play in those semi-finals. We all wanted to win, but it's also all the other things that are going on to, you know, increase the profile to, you know, make better facilities and opportunities for players. You know, that's all gone again this year, and everyone's got to start again. The other questions on everybody's lips is probably around what's happening with the league is it is it still going to go ahead where you know four teams are going to be changing or, well or some of those teams in the bottom four are they going to change or is it a case now that that's not fair because the things may have changed I don't know it's I mean since you might have a, a bit of an insight but um, yeah that's another question that we kind of need answers to yeah I mean but that's a great question something I probably haven't hadn't even thought about I think um, I think from from like our understanding it it's was the same process in terms of those those four teams are still up for, for re- renewal and another four teams have potentially got the opportunity to come in but yeah is it is it the right thing to do um, I think the only thing saying on that is that all of the um, sort of modif- the, all of the modifying of the whole program and um, their retention process in terms of going through the um, minimum op standards had all been already done. So I think in that sense, it probably, and they'd already had that decision of where the ranking place. So in that sense, it probably can still go ahead because um, how they, I, I mean, I don't know what the process was, how far down the line teams are at. Uh, in terms of that retender or having that interview process so it'll be interesting interesting to see what happens there yeah look I, I, I couldn't agree more I think if you, a, a lot of clubs aren't going to like the goalposts as they've been set out for the last year and a half two years anyway you start changing the goalposts now 
I, I, I think you've got a lot of disgruntled people. So I, I think you stick to the process. I think you have to stick to the process as it was. Um, and, and they do their investigations as fully as they can, as you say. So it's, uh, I think they're quite a long way down that process anyway. So, um, yeah, look, we, we will wait and see because uh, it's this this isn't going to come and go uh, quickly, I don't think. So, uh, yes, going to be a fair few months away before even sort of being able to, to have a look at a, a start date for, for next season. So, anyway... Uh, so to, uh, lovely to catch on just the, the here and now. I, I was wondering whether we could. I, mean, I don't know how you're doing for time. Are you okay? I mean, yeah. I'm, oh I'm right, talking. okay, good. <laughs> Great stuff. Just wonder if you had your. That doesn't you... mean she wants to talk to you all day, Johnny. <laughs> as much as you would love to. No. <laughs> I, I, this this I, I put this Zoom meeting in from twelve to four. No. <laughs> no, I knew you actually would as well. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, that's a compliment to to the young lady herself. I would uh, happily talk to you all day long. Uh, where can we can we go back? Can we go way way back? Where where did it all start for you? Yeah, that is going way back, Johnny. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I was um, at, at primary school as a as a nine year old, and um, I started playing. Um, rugby league so I didn't start playing union for some people there that probably doesn't sit too well with um, but for me it was my my way in and basically a uh, a rugby coach um, Mick Hogan who is the current CEO of Newcastle Falcons um, was my very first um, rugby coach I think he was a community coach back then so it shows just how far he, he's gone on um, and they had an initiative to go into to local primary schools and get rugby league up on the ground. And I happened to be at the right um, school at the right time. And our head teacher, um, Sheila Kerr at the time, said, because um, they asked if they could have a group of boys to work with. And she said, no, I've got a group of pupils who you can work with, which will include girls and they'll take part. And yeah, the rest is history, really. But um, if I hadn't had a teacher as forward thinking as to include everyone back then then I wouldn't have necessarily got the opportunity to, to play rugby and then go on to the here and now really so was, was it a, a rugby family was there any, whatever code was it was it a sporting family you came from encouraged to to do lots of sports or was it purely through that that school teacher no so um so yeah I was a real sporty kid um had an older brother so uh was out probably in the street with our neighbors who um were also two boys so kicking a football around playing cricket in the street putting windows out you know how it is as a kid back in the the Sarah Hunter are you telling me you play cricket (laughs) I mean that's probably why there was coordination to do that That's probably why we um, we had windows. I either didn't catch the ball or I hadn't got the coordination just to hit it straight. I probably hit it, <laughs> but windows out. Um, so so yeah, um, and I think I, I played netball, did everything. So I, so I was really encouraged to to be active as a child. Uh, my family weren't really rugby uh, mad. Coming from Newcastle, pretty much more of a football focus. Um, but when I came home and said that I um, had played rugby, really enjoyed it, wanted to keep going, uh, 
my mum and dad, like anything else I've, I've chosen to do in life, have supported me fully with it. And they supported me from a nine-year-old through to, what, how old am I now? 34 years old. So my whole lifetime, really. And uh, do you have a first... I know, you're shocked, Johnny. I don't know, 34. I can't, can't believe it. You've uh, had a very, very light paper round, clearly. Uh, what Did you remember the first club? That, that first memory of, of, of going into that, that club or... or I guess a Sunday morning or something like that. What 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 club was it? What are your first impressions there? Were you the only girl on the park? Yeah. So um, after this eight weeks of um, like rugby that we had, um, two players from our school got invited to to go and join probably the initiative that was had been around um, like the area that they were working in to go to Wembley to play in a curtain raiser before the. Great Britain, Australia, um, like test match at the old Wembley Stadium. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be picked to do that, um, which is a, like an amazing opportunity. And like, I have such like fond memories of doing that. And we had, um, there was like, there was four girls that um, got invited to go. So we were played in a, in a mixed team. And then from there, one of the, um, one of the or some of the boys that played played at a rugby league club called Gateshead Panthers. So I asked my mum and dad if I could go and play, um, and that was every Saturday morning um, at Gateshead Stadium on the grass at the back that um, my mum and dad would take me down to and have training um, and play games. And afterwards, there'd be one of the parents had a tuck shop in their boot, so they'd open the boot up and there'd be loads of sweets that you could go in, um, have your fifty pence mix up or however much you were given. Um, and I just have really fond memories of of, of playing um, with your friends, um, going to tournaments, going to matches, all sorts of things like that. So, so when did the uh, the, the a, a you're destined for, for big things playing at Wembley and kind of one of your first outings, unbelievable, um, very sunter. <laughs> uh, when, when did the crossover happen then from from league to to union? Yeah, so at the age of 13, I had to stop playing mixed rugby um, because that was just obviously the same in yeah. uh, in Union. Um, so then we tried to set up our girls-only rugby league team, uh, which, as you can imagine, was a bit challenging. We were probably few and far between the girls that wanted to play rugby. Um, and we played few games that was the first um time I came across Katie Daly McLean at probably the age of fourteen. Um played a few rugby league games with her. Lucky. Um you. but it didn't yeah. Um it didn't really take off. But at the same time, um at around I was probably a couple of years later, rugby union was trying to get kick started in the northeast. Um and they had a lady called Joe Wells who I think was a development officer up there and she'd started a an under sixteen Northeast girls team, so I got invited to go along to to that. Um, hadn't got a clue what I was doing. I was like, "How can Union be different to, to League?" So like, I went down like holding on to the board, not releasing it. Um, didn't really know what I was doing, but um, I I really loved playing rugby, and I thought actually it still is rugby. I just have to learn to adapt to change to a few new uh, a few new laws in the game. Where did they um, put you positionally? So this is the very first time. Yeah. Please say uh, winger. So I started Please say winger. As a, um, an inside centre burst. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. 
<laughs> and you know what? I don't know if you've heard the story or not. I've probably told it last. Do you tell it? Um, do you remember Phil Forsyth, the under twenty, yeah. under nineties coach? So he used to do our HBAs, High Performance Academy. You know the ones we had in the summer. Yeah. And he was obviously under nineteens coach at the time. And um, I remember like one time he was had at the end of like the um, series of them, and he he took me to one side and he was like, "Oh, I think you've you're doing really well." Um, but I don't see a future for you in rugby, like at a high level, um, as a as a centre, um, because um, we've yeah. I know he's like um, he said. I think you've got like potential to to do quite well. But the reason um, I don't see you as a centre is because we've got uh, a really exceptional um, inside centre at a similar age to to you. Called Rachel Burford, like in the <laughs> no way, yeah, genuine, <laughs> yeah. Aww. So I was just like, all oh, right, okay. Obviously, at what seventeen, didn't really. Obviously, our wills had never connected. So I was like, okay, like, well, I want to play for England. I'm going to have to move position. And then, like, when I came across you, I was like, oh, actually, was right. She is pretty damn good. Oh, <laughs> oh, so, uh, so you're well, good on him. Good on him for moving you to eight. Yeah. Because look at your career. I was going to say, I mean, how much thanks has she given you over the years? Uh, because her yeah. entiring and clear career is down to you and her positional switch. <laughs> I'm not sure I can take the credit for how good Sinner's career is. <laughs> I'd like to, I was but, uh, certainly a very different centre to birth. I was pretty much a crash centre. My hand was <laughs> holding on to it. My, yeah, it's not my strength. Well, I didn't know that. What that, that That's... Uh, what a lovely little story that I is. I didn't know that. Honestly, these are the little gems in this uh, in these uncertain times that uh, I'm holding my hat on. That's that's a, what a lovely little story. So you you move you have, you've been told to move from centre to number eight because there's this there's this young thing from Kent called Burford in the way. Um, how then do you get into that England system? Those those age groups. Did did you do any of that kind of stuff, or is it just not available geographically? No, so so yeah, um, I so Phil at this time asked me to go to. In fact, no, before that, I couldn't go to the first under eighteen trials because um, Katie Dade and McLeod actually the first ever like Northumberland under sixteens, I think it was versus Durham under sixteens, and we played on the same team up until this point, and then she's from south of the river and I'm from north of the river, so we play for different counties. And she actually broke my leg when I was 16 years old. That's a fact for you. God, this is just gem, oh up, gem after gem after gem. It is. Yeah. And then, yeah, and my, um, I remember coming off and my mum was like, come on, Sarah, you can um, you can get up. We're just run it off. It can't be that bad. I was like, no, mum, it actually really hurts. She's like, no, no, come on. Like, I think you should run it off. And I was like, I definitely can't. I got put in an ambulance and then had an x-ray and I was like, mum, it's broken. She was like, oh. <laughs> um, the guilt. Have you spoken to her since? Yeah. <laughs> Most people probably didn't want their little girls to play rugby and my mum was like telling me just to crack on. <laughs> Carry on when you've got a broken leg. You'll be um, fine. Yeah, so um, anyway, di- digress. So um, so I couldn't, wasn't involved in that and then after obviously the conversation with Bill about uh, change in position. I went to under 19s as it was, 10 trials. Um, 
as a back row player, having never played back row before. And to be honest, at the time, I didn't really know what forwards did. Like, as a back, I was like, just stood out there and um, didn't know what, what job they were supposed to do. So I went to these trials and needless to say, I was pretty awful. I think I just went from like rook to rook and literally got to a rook when the ball went to another one. So I was literally just chasing my shadow around the um, pitch. So um didn't get selected, but... Um, I like the taste of going into such a selection process. I was like, I, I want to try and be better. I want to try and learn this position and I want to see whether I can get selected next year. So that season at the club I played for, Nova Castrians, my, um, my coach, Graham Cooper, kind of took me under his wing and he was a back row player. So he kind of spent extra sessions before training, after training, um, to try and like teach me how to become a back row player, basically. And um, following year, went back to trials and got selected that time round. And then I've kind of just gone through the pathway since we had the academy back in the day. Um, and then England A, and then on to the the senior team. So went through like that. Love to to go through that little transition and the, the academy and stuff as well. But I am conscious that. Uh... We've only just, we're only 18 years of age, um, so we've got quite a bit more to cover. Um, so, so Sarah, she's been in the academy, she gets into that, that, that senior squad for the first time. Do you remember your first feelings? Do you remember the excitement of getting the stash? Who were the big characters? Just trying to encapsulate that, 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 that those opening moments in, in that senior squad for us. Yeah, I didn't really expect it, to be honest. I was sat in my biomechanics lab doing some revision for my um, degree at Loughborough, which I was in my final year, so they were pretty important. And it was Jeff Richards, who was coach at the time, ringing to tell me that I would be selected into into the squad to play Six Nations against um, Scotland um, and I would like. I'm sure it was the same for, for you, but the excitement that it is about you, about uh, your dreams about to come true. Basically, my whole revision went out the window. I, I was just like, oh, I probably should care, but at the moment, all I can think of it about is playing for playing for England, and it it was such an amazing time. Like you, I remember turning up to my um, first training camp. I think it was at Old Albanians, um, and these players that you've looked up to. Like your whole like the Georgia Stevens, your your Sue Days, your your, your Karen. Oh, what's her surname? Andrews. 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 Yeah, I wanted to call her by a wench, but yeah, Karen Andrews. Um, obviously, uh, such great great players that you and so much older than you, wiser, more experienced that. You almost didn't want to talk until you had been been spoken to, really. Um, sort of kept my head down as much as possible. Um, more so trying not to mess up than anything, because I felt like I, I probably shouldn't be there. Like I didn't really see myself in that tier of international players. But but yeah, it was um, a pretty pretty exciting time. How did you find out Perth about uh, being called into your first England squad? Um, mine was on the back. It was the same scenario. Like we had um, trials at Hayfrock Park. Good on Hay. Uh, yeah, it's just the most randomest place ever. Um, and we had a trial fit, and that was for the 20, 2006 World Cup. 
there was like a, a 14 game going on and then the next day or a couple of days after you'd get a call whether you were going to get picked to go to the World Cup or not um, so you're kind of sitting around waiting and then I heard that a couple of players who were going as travel reserves had heard so I was like right, well he's probably gone through the whole squad then told the people who were travelling and then he'll kind of call the people who are knows. So I got Jeff on the phone and he literally, he's an Australian, so he loves to talk, he loves the sound of his own voice, literally talked at me for about 30 minutes without telling me whether I was in or out. Um, and I'm literally, I was living in a flat at the time, a little small um, two-bed flat. I was literally pacing up and down this flat, just thinking, come on, tell me what's going on. And finally he was like, well, look, we're, we're taking a chance on you and we're going to take you. And I was like, just couldn't believe it because... You know, never would I have thought I would have got picked to go to the World Cup. And then he then spoke to me for probably another 15 minutes. And this whole time, just like, get off the phone. I want to call my dad. I want to tell, I want to tell people. Um, but yeah, just absolutely buzzing. And you're just, you're kind of like, I can't believe it's happened. And the whole butterflies in your stomach's there. And yeah, it's a really special moment. And do either of you remember anything of, of, of your first cap? Or did it whiz by like that? I, well, it's quite a funny story in a way. What I remember mostly about my first cap was it was at the World Cup, it was against South Africa. Um, but what I remember most is Graham Smith, had a, a, he was the forwards coach at the time, had a bit of a, a particular way how he went about things in the early days. Um, didn't really take much notice of backs. Um, but right just before the game, uh, like I think I was walking back in from the warm-up and he just pulled me aside and he just had a few nice things to say to me about going out and for my first cap and that was something that was really really special because he did talk to backs really and so the fact that he just pulled me aside and was like we know you're ready go out enjoy yourself express yourself you've earned this opportunity and something like just gave me the lift and, and I just remember being outside this pokey little changing room um, and he just said giving me a few little words of encouragement oh that's lovely that's very unlike Graham at the time <laughs> yeah at the time he's changed he's a big softie at heart but um but yeah, it was it was quite funny the fact that he actually spoke to her back and was nice to them. <laughs> well, that, that was two thousand six, right, Perf? Yeah. Uh, and you were seven, weren't you, Cinta? Yeah. Do you remember that at all, Cinta? Uh, it it goes by so quickly, and you say that people like and caps this time try and remember and soak up as much as you can. But I think like as time goes on, like majority of it seems to like disappear but there's key moments like like that that um you seem that you can remember and I think I've got got two things um one was singing the anthem I remember I wasn't really an emotional person back then I think as I've got older I've got more emotional but um I remember standing and looking for my parents um, and singing the anthem and like welling up and being like this is actually happening um, and then since then it's 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 what I try to do is to try and find where my, my family are like when I come out because it, it, like you know, the, the pride that you have that you represent your country and, and how much it means like for your friends and family and so forth, almost to, to play for them as well so that's kind of stuck with me since um, since I got my first cap. And then the second thing is the fear about having to sing on the bus. Like, as you can imagine, having, I'm not the most tuneful person. No? Don't know any word, any song. Um, not coordinated. Can't hit a beat. Um, and just having the, the sheer anxiousness from 
the game finishing, getting changed all through the meal to being like, I'm going to have to get on a bus and sing in front of, at that time, quite a lot of people I didn't really know very well. Um, but to be fair, everyone was, was kind. And after about a, a, a 10 to 20 seconds, they join in and, and make you feel a, a little bit more at ease. What did you say? I sang the good old rugby song, Snoop Lombie. Oh, nice. How, 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 not a lot of young people know it now. How, how does it go? I was about to say, back then, people would remember yeah. it, but not, not, not now. Not, not, not sure not I know it, Sinter. Could you give us a quick, give us a quick blast? Oh, you wouldn't want to hear it. <laughs> Save no. it for the time. She's too media trained, isn't she? She's too good. What did you, what did you <laughs> sing first up, Berth? Um, I sung Wonderwall by Oasis. No, it's the most intimidating thing ever. The game was easy compared to the fear leading into that. I was, I was going to come in and say, like, it's so consuming, the fact that you have to sing in front of people. Um, and I definitely think it's changed, though, since like, like, even on the bus now, everybody's just more than happy to sing. There's, there's a very few people that don't want to actually get out there see Like, things like Jess Breach, she'll be like, all right, yeah, I'll go again. Yeah. Or, like, Zoe Harrison or, like, Poppy will go up there and rap or Brian will go up there. Like, it's... It, Lost that kind of yeah. scaredness, I think, about it. We need to find a way to bring that back in. Yeah, no, I agree. Actually. Who, who's the best uh, bus song you've ever heard? Then, for me, it's like your classics, like um, like old school rugby songs, like people like Jill Burns. Like we had, um, like even when Nicky Podsford sung on the bus before, like good old classic rugby songs, real traditions. Like that, they're the people for me. But then there's some actual decent singers in our squad. <laughs> like Larks are like a proper singer. Yeah, isn't she, she can. Beckett, I don't know if you saw the Quinn sing. Oh, yeah, yeah she, can, she can really sing. And then what you don't want to do, Johnny, you don't want to follow someone like can actually sing or has done something really good. <laughs> then you just sound awful like following them. Yeah, well, look, I, 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 I know. That's so true. Uh, as, you, as you both know, um, personally experienced that uh, that tradition of having to to sing on the bus first time you're you're, you're ever on it um you lot made me sing in uh in 2014 of course um which was unbelievable uh considering what you just I been do through. remember you smashing that johnny what did you do i don't remember that uh i'm probably too drunk stand by me i was thinking about wonderwall and i just thought that was uh it was a bit too 97 lines, so I thought Stand By Me was uh, was pretty appropriate for what you'd just done at uh, Jean Bouin. I'm Annie Keepless, and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. If we fast forward uh, a, a little bit more, uh, give us... Uh, look, we, we're talking about World Cups there... Um, is it too an obvious a question to to ask what your your favourite World Cup and World Cup memory is? Is it just too obvious? Yeah. Let's yeah, ask. Let's it. ask it and get your impression anyway. Then. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think um, you you can't look anywhere else than than winning in twenty fourteen. I think um, having gone through that loss in twenty ten. Um, I'm being absolutely devastated by it. Um, and then it takes a long while to, to get over it. Um, that I think the journey that we've been on 
in the run-up to 2014 as well from the Six Nations where we lost the opening game to Six Nations to France away and it's just thinking this is our this is our World Cup year like we'd obviously gone to New Zealand the year before been whitewashed by them we played France who and it, you just you think actually we should be better than this but I think the great thing about our team we realised that actually I think for me in the run up to 2010 I hadn't lost a game in an England shirt and I think actually you probably find I know it's cliche but find out more about when you lose and the times that you find out about your squad you find out about what you need to work on and and you built through and it, it probably wasn't the smoothest of journeys through um the build-up to, to 2014 World Cup, but I think it, there was almost a turning point in in April. I don't know if you remember this, um, Bert, but we were at some um, barracks somewhere on some team building, and uh, Stu Pickering, our SNC, new SNC coach, came in, and I think there was just a, a sense of things being a little bit different after then, and how the team felt closer than it ever felt before. Um, and then when we were in France, um, then I just think there was a sense of like togetherness and about how we grew like through every game. And it, it, we definitely had some challenges. Um, I know the, the, the Canada game, everyone thought that we'd fixed it on purpose. But believe you me, we're, at one point, I think if the if is it Mandy March's pass hadn't been called forward, we'd possibly on the end of going out of the World Cup. But um I think where we were in, in in where we were staying and everything people had done to, to make us come together with with the situation. Um, I remember waking up on the day of the World Cup and just having this sense of what a great day it's going to be. And I, I can't put my finger on it, but I've never had a feeling like it other than in, in 2014. And just that moment when... Emily Scarrett scored that try. I think there was you could the way the team celebrated. I think there was a real sense of that was it. That was the moment that we just won the World Cup final. And then when the whistle went, it like it was just life changing. How, how, how was it? I'll just ask a slightly different question to to you, Berth. Uh, as uh, sort of just said there with the with the Emily Scarrett try, the game was pretty much done by then. Um, was it like walking up the the 18th uh, at an open with a sort of five shot lead? Do you know what? For me, I felt that during at half time they just kicked a goal and it then became like nine eleven, and I just remember so we had like a leadership group on field, didn't we? And it was yourself, me, Katie. Um, help me out here. There was somebody else. Scared, isn't it? I don't know if she was because she was kicking. So probably she was, but yeah. we, we laid messages differently. So that there was a group of us, and I just remember us all looking at each other, thinking, "We're so in control. We know where we're going with this." And it, and again, like you said, I have never felt that sort of feeling ever since that day. Then, um, and it was just a matter of there is no chance that we will lose this game. There was absolutely no way we were going to do it. Even if we beat them by one point, we were 100% going to walk off that pitch as winners. It was the most surreal feeling that I've ever had. That is really interesting because, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know if you heard, uh, Giselle Mather, Nikki Ponsford uh, and Jill Burns did a, a recount of their World Cup win. 
uh, with our with our chums over at the House of Rugby and Alex Payne. And Giselle and, and Jill Jill Burns said exactly the same thing. They woke up. Well, Giselle actually said it from the team meeting the day before. I knew I was going to win the World Cup. Jill said, yeah, I woke up and I knew we were going to win the World Cup. Isn't that funny? And you you both experienced exactly the same thing. Ah, oh, magic. Uh, Six Nations. Let's move to Six Nations. Do you have a, a, a favourite tournament, a, a favourite game, a favourite World Cup out of the 87 that you've won? Oh, um... Just too many friends to remember. Oh, you know the, the the this year's France game has has got to be has got to be up there. Having not won a Six Nations game away in France since 2012, which is probably the other highlight. Having it was Michaela Stanford's 50th cap, and we I can't remember what stadium we played in, but I remember. I think again after French history and like games have have always been tough, especially uh, away. But um, but I think the fact that we'd gone there, we'd won. It was Michaela's fifty cap, and then we went and joined um, the men's teams for a post match reception as well. That's got to be up there. Obviously, this this year and how we we beat France away. Um, and then the other one, which was pretty pretty special, um, was twenty seventeen um, away in Ireland, when I think Berth had um, a head bandaged up, uh, and the fact that we we hadn't really won any major apart from the World Cup, but we hadn't won a, a Six Nations since um, since that twenty twelve um, victory as well. I think was was pretty pretty significant in how difficult it was. To now win a Six Nations, and um, they're probably some some more recent highlights. And you, Beth? Um, yeah, I definitely go jump on the back of that Ireland game just because of it's always so good playing in Ireland. It, it's it's not fully on a par with playing in France, but it's the Irish fans uh, are brilliant to play in front of. And it was a really tight game in the first half, wasn't it? It was like ten five or something, and then um, so that was a really special. Um, special time but the other one I actually it was although it's heartbreaking losing it it was playing that in France when we played when we lost in the in the final moments in 2018 Uh, um like it's not favorite time obviously but just kind of the whole thing of the crowd that we played in front of you know beating the world the, the record for a women's game the actual intensity of that game was unbelievable from like start to finish um, and those are the get like obviously we'd love to be on the winning end of that side but they're the games that you just love you relish in them um, so yeah that's probably one of the the great games that I love playing in over over the Six Nations now so I know we've all got a bit, a bit, bit of time on ours but I'm conscious not to use up too much of your, your time um, we've we jumped around your, your career and, and some some lovely memories and what have you uh, in there can we do this again uh, some other time to drill down on, on a few other areas? There is one more question I want to ask you, but uh, will, will you come back and, and tell us a few more of your most uh, enlightening stories? Yeah, of course. No problem. We could do part two anytime. Oh, part two. Well, I mean, who knows? <laughs> Look at his eyes light up. <laughs> Honestly, who knows? We could do it in like three weeks' time. Perfect. Let's book you in. One last question. Your 100th cap. Oh. Lead up. Yeah. Um, 
what can I say? Um, it still gets me quite emotional um, about it um, now, really. Like, I, I think, as a, I've probably touched on this, like, you get your first cap, and that's ultimately, like, the dream is to get your 100th cap. And I don't think I've, most players, I don't think they go along counting caps. I mean, you recognise the, the significant moments of probably getting to 10, you're like, I'm not in single figures anymore. And then as it goes on, and... And then I think as they get further on, they mean as much as as much to you as the the first one, if not more, because you're still able to to play. But to get your your hundredth cap was just such a, a special special moment. And um, I just think I didn't really want to quite um, believe it until it was actually finished. Like the amount of messages you get. Like, especially when you get to 90, it's like, oh, you're so close to 100. But as we know, anything can happen in, in rugby. Like, so you don't want to almost, like, count on it. So even on the, the morning of the game, I was like, oh, my God, what if something happens in the warm-up? What if I don't actually get to have my 100th cap? Um, so, so yeah, I just wanted – I was like, this has never happened in a single game, so why would it happen now? But, um, yeah, it, it's a very, very special time, and – I remember my um, the shirt presentation, and I think at the same time um, of getting my hundreds, we had four people getting their their first caps. So um, I had to say a little something about everyone, and I just remember like just trying to really focus on that because it it was such a special moment that I just felt quite emotional and quite overwhelmed by it all, and all the messages you get, everything, all the the cards and thinking I don't want to open any of these yet because I haven't actually got my hundredth cap. Um and I remember actually back to back to you, but just just the words that you said to said to me, I think, in a message about enjoying enjoying the occasion and treating it like a another game. But um yeah, just just being the player that you always are for any other game and that struck a real chord with me and um sort of at the stoop when I you sort of standing in the tunnel and thinking by god it's a long way to run over there by yourself to the other <laughs> side of the pitch um they were the words that were were going through in terms of like enjoy the moment but just be you um and I got to the side and I knew my mum and dad were coming to to watch but I had no idea and it was a Tuesday night I had no expectation of like people being there really and I looked into the crowd and I saw my brother and my niece and literally as soon as I saw them I I just started to like proper like well up and like almost sort of hyperventilate with crying um <laughs> and then at that moment everyone else joined me and I think it was Amber Reed who was vice captain just put an arm around me and I just felt it's all right I've got all my um teammates here with me now and um yeah it was it was such a such a a brilliant occasion and one that I'll look back and cherish cherish forever really so as a rugby fan as a as a broadcaster and having been around for for majority of your well all of your career uh, sort of covering it, it it's a privilege to to have got to to know you as a player and a person as, as much as I have and um, I have huge respect uh, on both fronts for you um what what's 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 she like as a skipper then Berth? what's she like as a player why why she got to four thousand eight hundred and twenty seven caps 
Um, I think, like, just to allude on what she said there, but, you know, when you're sitting there and some of the young players are like, how do you get that many cats? How on earth do you get to And Because at the time, you literally don't think about it. Um, you just do your business. You go about your weekly business. Um, you earn the right, you earn the opportunity. And to get to 100 is just unbelievable. It really, really is. And I think it, it you have to be out of it and not in the thick of it to really recognise how impressive that is. Um, and the fact that you've you've gone with the waves of this England team, you know, there's been so much disruption over the years in terms of loads of us went off to them playing the sevens and then you were kind of like looking after this new squad, young squad, and you had to ride all the, the highs and the lows. Um, obviously, tough captain in, in 2017. Um, but that's probably the ultimate thing about Sarah as a captain is the fact is that you're always there and you'll always look after your players you'll pick them up you'll be there for your squad no matter what's going on you'll stand by them and you'll work with them and that doesn't need someone to talk about it doesn't need somebody to shout and holler all it is is you doing your job being you and not worrying about what other people are thinking being the captain that you want to be is ultimately what makes people follow you and want to go in your footsteps and live on it on every word that you say. Um, she's got terrible dancing moves. She can't sing, so they're not on the top list of captaincy. But with that brings entertainment. So I guess it does add to the list of being a great captain. Very kind of you. Yeah. What? Uh... And you're welcome for being a good twelve. <laughs> <laughs> very good yeah uh look uh I- iconic is a word bounded around but uh i think it's uh not out of place when you speak about yourself sarah look well, i'll let you get back to how, how we- you're washing up when we uh, when we interrupted you um oh yeah your bands of course how I- this is not a very masculine thing to say um but how bad are your hands at the moment ladies yeah oh i'm washing oh yeah, moisturiser. Yeah, hand cream. Oh, yeah, but still, honestly, it has a 93-year-old. Um, anyway, uh, we'll let you get back to your, your bands and your washing up. Um, thank you so much for coming out today. And I think a couple of little things in there, well, we know that Berth and I didn't know. So, um, well, yeah, real, real treat to speak mm. to you. Thank you so much. Uh, stay well. I hope the family all stays well. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. I look forward to part two. Yeah, can't wait. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I'm Jill Burns, and you're listening to the wonderful Women's Rugby Pod. So great to uh, great to speak to your 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 captain, my, captain, my captain. Uh, to use a phrase from uh, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, she's just a, a totem pole, isn't she? She's a she's the glue. She's the she's the the, the steadying ship, uh, which everybody migrates to. I, I'm guessing that's the that's the feel. Yeah, I think I think people really underestimate how much work goes into being a captain, um, especially at an, an international level. Um, not only you do have to be concerned about you as an individual first and your performance and your behaviours and and how you go about your business, but you're often the person that is always, you know, the coaches are going to, the players are going to. You know, external stuff's coming to you. You've got a lot of media on your hands. And to balance all of that um, is is difficult. Um, 
in times, you know, when things are going up, going the right way for you, but also when things aren't going um, the right way, when you're losing games or things aren't working. And, and Sarah's been through all of that. Um, and I've definitely seen her grow as a captain. Um, and like you speak to all captains, I think a lot of them at times sometimes try and, um, you know, try and be something that they're not. And, and that's something that Sarah is not. She does what she is good at. She sticks to her beliefs and her values. Um, and that's really, really important when you're leading a side. And, yeah, I think, you know, over the years, um, she's definitely excelled in that captaincy role. Um, she's learned and lent on a lot of players around her to to be the leader that she is. And, and look, you speak to her all the time. She's so humble about everything that she does and everything that she could go on to do. Um, she stays very much in the moment, but um, is a very, very proud. Um, English rugby player. Yeah, real treat to to have her on. Next week, uh, we're hoping to to line up the Cleal twins. We've been meaning to to have them on the the pod for for a while, but uh, yeah, Bryony's legs are kind of sorted now, and they're uh, going slightly stir crazy, as I understand it. Um, cooped up together, so we'll uh, we'll have some fun with them on the pod next week, and then the week after, Heather Fisher, as we we said earlier, uh, is coming on the pod to talk about all things sevens uh, and a little bit about her career as well. Uh, social media wise, uh, soon to mention it, didn't she? Sarah Beckett, do check out Sarah Beckett playing guitar and, and singing. What's that? Harlequin's uh, social media, isn't it? Uh, outstanding work from her. Claire Malloy. Did you see Claire Malloy playing piano? Yeah. I mean, what is there? Great. Nothing she can't do. I know. Well, we should say a big thank you to her anyway. She's NHS, isn't she? Worker. Did yeah. She? Well, yeah, she's uh, she's doctor, rugby player, and pianist. Yeah, that's huge thanks. <laughs> uh, huge thanks to yeah, yeah. She she, she ticked every box there. But yeah, huge thanks to to her, and of course, absolutely everybody else at the front line. Not yeah, not just NHS staff, but uh, those stocking the uh, the supermarket shelves and uh, and all the rest of it on the front line there. The, the, those key workers, teachers, uh, obviously. Mention, haven't mentioned loads and loads of others but yeah huge thank you from from everyone here at the uh, the WRP uh, the only other shout out uh, was Yeovil Rugby Club the women's section uh, Mrs Chubb and Katie Schwitzer I think it is really enjoyed your Twitter video uh, and your shout out to key workers uh, and the stay home message so well done to you if you want a shout out or, or any questions for us or Anyone you think might be struggling, just might uh, might like a message or from, from birth or the WRP, please, please get in touch. Uh, of course, our social media handles are as ever, birth. You can follow us at Pod Women's Rugby on both Twitter and Instagram. Give us a follow, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and until next week, please stay safe. Please, please stay at home. Do what the government is saying. Uh, and we can ride this thing out sooner rather than later. But yeah, stay safe, keep washing those hands, stay indoors, and be well. And of course, whatever you're doing for the women's game, whatever that might be at the moment, whatever it can be at the moment, wherever you are, keep it up. Until next time.